the IBM Z applications and runtime podcasts. Your place to get the newest trends and direction for mainframe runtimes and environments. Welcome to another of our Application Platform Talks podcasts. This is where we ask experts related to the runtimes to talk about topics dear to them that we think you will find interesting. Now, I don't do this on my own. I'm joined by Toby from Germany. So, Toby, hi, thanks for joining today. Hello, a pleasure as usual. Today, we're turning our attention to modern development on the mainframe, and in particular, using Ansible and DevOps. And to help us here, we've be, we're being joined by Stuart Francis from the Hursley Lab. Stuart, hi, thanks for hi, joining. And we will be recording this uh, session, and it will be available on ibm.biz forward slash Z podcasts. And there you'll find a multitude of other podcasts all related to the mainframe and IBM Z. So first off, Stu, I think it'd be nice if you just related a little bit about yourself and how you first became involved with the mainframe and, and Z. Thanks, Nick. Um, so I have been working for IBM out of uh, IBM Hursley for 15 years now. Uh, and I've spent 13 years of those working on Kicks. I originally started in a software release engineering team, um, and I did that for a couple of years. And then um, I got the opportunity to work in an engineering position, which is something I was really interested in, and that happened to be in Kicks. Uh, and that was really interesting to me, so I moved into there. So, so, so what was your first product then? How, how did you start with Kicks? Uh, so I... <laughs> actually have uh, pretty much continuously worked on Kix Explorer for those 13 years. So um, when I first moved into Kix, it was before the first release of Kix Explorer had happened. Um, I think it was available as a support pack before then. And I started on the Kix Explorer team as my first engineering role. So I was a junior developer on there. And 13 years later, I am still the, I'm the Kix Explorer architect now. Um, and I'm still working on Kix Explorer and I still make Kix Explorer code changes every so often. So uh, not a lot has changed there, uh, but um, <laughs> I have wor I've worked on a bunch of other bits and pieces as well in that time. We're going to be talking about some of those today. So, so, so when you started, you said you, you you didn't have a Z background. You basically end up there a little bit by accident. So, how was your first impression of all this kick Z bits and the the thirty to seventy interfaces and all of this? So, so, was that also a motivation for you in the in the work on Kicks Explorer to make it maybe a little more easy for 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 new starters? Yeah, it was actually a really kind of nice place to start, actually, when you think about it. I can definitely appreciate how intimidating the 3270 interface might be to someone who's not seen that before. But I was literally starting in a role where my job was looking at how we can make some of the things that you could only do in the 3270 environment available through other kind of desktop graphical user interfaces like Kix Explorer. So it was nice to be able to like get that introduction and also look at like, you know, what might be more familiar to me with the background that I'd come from as well. So it was actually probably a more gentle introduction than um, some people have. And a lot of the engineering I was working on was um, because we were working on a desktop graphical user interface. It was all um, like Java. Um, so I didn't actually, back then, I didn't used to do a whole lot of engineering on the Z side, specifically a lot of desktop Java stuff. 
Cool. So, so, so when you then started with this kind of, let's say, an IDE for the for the runtime kicks, how did this actually evolve into into working on on stuff like DevOps toolkits and and even later on then Ansible? Yeah, I, that's. I guess I worked on Kicks Explorer pretty much exclusively for, um, let's say, about eight years or so, and it's only in the last um, five or so years that I've worked on other kind of ancillary technology but it's really nice to be able to um, look at how um, we can modernize the development experience on mainframe by the um, supporting tooling that we produce kind of like kicks explorer since you know since i've not been exclusively kicks explorer focused i've worked on a bunch of other supporting tooling around improving the experience for uh, mainframe users so kicks explorer is obviously more system programmer focused um, but since then I uh, spent a bunch of time looking at how we can improve the experience for Java developers. So we wanted to look at how people who had experience of doing Java development on any other platform, how their experience can be relevant to Z and they can get up and running with developing Java for Z and in Kix more quickly. So we looked at making it more easy to use the industry standard development tools for Java on Z. So uh, And particularly in Kix, so we have Maven and Gradle plugins for publishing Kix applications in Java to Z. Um, and putting all of our Kix API libraries on Maven Central, which is the repository that you get all of your API stuff from for Maven and Gradle. And now also looking at Ansible, it's kind of the same theme for me. It's a very natural kind of transition, looking at how we can provide more tooling. Uh, it's still focused around improving productivity for people using Z. So that was a pretty natural transition. So, so basically, you you made your experience that you had while developing some, let's say, standard Java application like the Kix Explorer, and you made that available. How can a, a developer that now wants to work for Kix basically use the tools that he knows and loves, and how to make that even even available also for for Kix users? Is it? Yeah, exactly. So we'd um, we'd used uh, Maven in this case. We'd used Maven to develop Kix Explorer for quite a long time. And part of the way we'd set up the technology that we had to support job development in Eclipse, um, I think we made a lot of those decisions before Maven was as popular as it was, as it is now, and uh, as Gradle is is and continues to become for Java now as well. Uh, so it was a case of kind of updating that development process and looking at how uh, we can make it easier for people to use those really popular technologies from elsewhere for Kicks. So, and yeah, a lot of that was definitely born out of like it's um, kind of eat your own cooking thing like we mm. looked at what we were doing for um and actually we were developing uh kicks java applications then as well because uh, one of the other projects i've worked on is the graphql api for kicks and uh, that's actually a kicks java application that runs in uh liberty server running in kicks so we looked at you know we've been through the process of developing kicks java applications and then like oh this bit's really painful what can we do to mm. improve that um one of the more recent things i've worked on actually is um people may have heard of is the jkix x api so jkix is the api we use to invoke java applications uh, for for java applications to link to other native language kicks programs so you can do the equivalent of an exec kicks link from java and um, one of the things we found really difficult when we were developing the graphql application that runs um, as part of uh, cmci uh, we would you know we developed that we'd want to run the application in liberty on our laptops And we had native dependencies that our application will want to link to. So um, you'd be running the application on your laptop and you get to this point where it want to do like an exec kicks link and suddenly it won't work anymore because that 
exec kicks link needs to happen actually on a you know, in a kicks region Reason running machine. on, on yeah. Z. Yeah. So um, what we did is we uh, created a new API called JKIX X, which is an extension to the JKIX API, and that's for development use. And it lets you run your um, Liberty server locally, run your Kix Java application locally in that Liberty. And then when it gets to the point where it'll do an exec Kix link, it kind of forwards that request over to a kind of target Kix region, which will run that request for you and return the response. So it means from a developer's perspective, it feels much more like, you know, the Java experience of the write once, run anywhere. You can write and develop it all locally on your laptop without having to go through this kind of repeated publish process to make sure that your bits that do the exec Kix link work. Um, and now actually the GraphQL API that we use uses that um, JKXX API. So and I have to say, I really appreciate how much we were able to improve the developer experience for us as I was personally there. Um, so be really interested to hear if anyone's using JKXX API and get some feedback on that too. Yeah, I think, I think that always makes the best product that IBM has if we do it out of our own interests and not just because we think, oh, maybe that is something that customers could really use. But if, if we know the pain ourselves, I think that usually makes the best uh, results that we usually do. So so good to hear that. Yeah, that was actually true for Eclipse itself. Um, Eclipse, was, you know, whilst it's an um, extensible IDE nowadays, an extensible application platform, it was originally a Java development environment written in Java. And the people who were improving that Java development environment were using Eclipse to write it. So pretty natural mm. that they ended up with a really good one in the end. So so when we when we now think on what you do today, I think I think the, the stuff that you try to work on these days is Ansible. Some of our listeners may not be uh, familiar with what Ansible does or what it's able to do. So could you tell us a little bit about Ansible, please, Stu? Sure. Uh, so this is kind of uh, from a kind of personal uh, standpoint. This is uh, continuing my um, journey of working on supporting tooling for mainframe for um, improving productivity. Uh, Ansible is an automation tool. Um, its tagline is uh, "Turn tough tasks into repeatable playbooks." Um, it's developed by Red Hat, and um, the deal with Ansible is you write instead of having a kind of a manual process that you'd go through um, every time and having a lot of that kind of tribal knowledge about like, uh, you know, um, only this specific person knows how to do this process. So they would go through it manually. And you have to wait for them to be available to do that. The idea with Ansible and kind of automation more broadly is that you can write a uh, script essentially, which uh, knows how to do that process instead. And then anyone who's able to run that script or that piece of automation can benefit from that. So Ansible is a tool and a framework for writing these pieces of automation. The interesting thing about Ansible is that it's not just a uh, Z-specific technology. It's a extensible automation platform. So you can use Ansible. It has a lot of built-in features for doing things like executing shell commands and things like that, but it has a lot of community extensions as well. So beyond just being able to automate a process on um, Z, there are Ansible extensions for automating processes kind of, it's almost anywhere you can imagine there's um, Ansible extensions for automating Amazon Web Services, there's Ansible extensions for automating Google Cloud, there's Ansible extensions even for things as um, specific as network hardware, there's Ansible extensions for automating like router configuration and things like that as well. So it's kind of all parts of your enterprise, um, you can use Ansible to 
manage the state of those things and automate kind of state transitions, so changing configuration and things like that. And because it can do all of those things, you can write an automated process that makes those changes to everything kind of at the same time as well. So you can run one piece of automation and it might make changes to some network hardware. It might bring up some new instances on a cloud platform. It might make some changes to some configuration in Kix or on Z. You can have that all as kind of one thing. So you can imagine how that might be really useful if you wanted to do something like, you know, uh, horizontal scaling to increase your uh, capacity and you need to make changes across like a whole bunch of kind of parts of your stack, then you can write one automated process that does that everywhere in one one hit. And I think when you when you talk about it, it basically abstracts the IBM Z platform to the users a bit. But I think it is important, especially when I think of our friends in system programming, that of course want to maintain some some level of control that all of this this playbooks basically is something they can develop so they have the full control do they uh yeah that's so um yeah so you're introducing i don't know if i used it already but so a playbook is ansible's term essentially for a script it's not really a script because it's supposed to be declarative so you're supposed to declare the kind of state that you'd like your system to get into by the time the playbook is finished executing so you you're describing state rather than um uh imperative how to get into that state and uh, those how you get into the state is controlled by the extensions that you put into Ansible. Typically, it doesn't have to work that way, but that's kind of the goal you're supposed to strive for with Ansible. But the great thing about Ansible and kind of automation in general is the idea is, you know, that, uh, say a system programmer for Kix could use um, Ansible to automate a process that they currently do manually. Um, and then They can host that automated process in some kind of service. And there's a variety of ways you can do it. One of the more popular ways is using Ansible Tower. Um, this is essentially kind of a web, you know, a web application that you can host where you people can go to there and run these automated processes that you've configured for them. So you, um, from the point of view of the system programmer, he can retain absolute control over um, what that process does. He can retain control over what identity that process runs under he can retain control over who has the authority to invoke that automated process so there's no kind of sacrifice of control it's just the benefit that you get of not having to be kind of on that critical path every time someone needs that process to happen you can kind of delegate that to other people and have them be able to do it with your authority so, so, so how did it come that we, uh, some maybe say, were a little late in the game so, so how did we come to think about Ansible at all? So I think that is interesting as well Yeah, so obviously with Ansible being a non-Z specific technology, it's been around for a little while and it has um, huge popularity um, across enterprise, kind of not from a specific Z direction. Um, and it was obviously something we were interested in looking at how that was applicable to Z, but it was very evident to us that um, there was this kind of desire from customers to look at how... Um, the benefits they're getting from their automated processes, they developed in Ansible for non-Z platforms and ask us, like, what can we do this sort of thing with Ansible on Z as well? Can we get some of the same benefits from this automation on Z? Um, how does that apply? What, what are you doing with Ansible on Z? So it became pretty apparent to us within uh, Z and within Kix that it would be uh, a good idea for us to look at how we can make it easier for people to use Ansible to automate processes on Z. Um, and I'm really glad to say that it's not just a 
not just a kicks thing, not just a ZOS thing, not just an IMS thing. There's actually, um, we've been developing within IBM, within Z um, extensions for Ansible to help automate processes across um, all of the assets you have on in your Z portfolio. It's not necessarily everything yet, and it's kind of an ongoing effort. So when we publish a extension for Ansible, the term that's used for that is a collection. And we have collections of Ansible extensions for um, ZOS Core, which is, um, that's really powerful. So that lets you um, use Ansible to make changes to data sets, HFS files, uh, run operator commands, submit jobs, look at job output. And there's obviously more stuff that I'm covering now, but there's a huge amount of power and flexibility, uh, things you can automate just using the ZOS Core collection. Um, but then beyond that, we have more focused co- uh, collections for specific pieces of middleware as well. So um, we released the first version of our collection for Kicks this year, and we're continuing to develop that at the moment as well. Um, there are already collections available for IMS as well, HMC, system automation, ZOSMF. So um, there's across Z, there's a kind of common approach to looking at how all of these different parts of your, all of these assets you have on Z, you can write automated processes to control them and you can use Ansible to do that. And that's really important from you know the perspective of an automation technology, being able to use it for everything, have it as that kind of consistent approach that you use and now it's not necessarily just for Z. Um, it's for things that aren't Z as well. You can use it for so cloud stuff, network hardware, all that stuff I talked about before as well. Mm. And I think I think as you as you also mentioned, SA, it is not really about replacing everything that is there already on Z. It's maybe more augmenting the stuff that we have on Z to a broader audience, so that it can be used together with the rest of the data center, as you as you explained before, in a let's say orchestrated way. Is it? Yeah, and that's true for. Um... Uh, like ZOSNF as well, which is another uh, technology we can ha- we have that you can use to create automated processes. Um, but uh, you can use Ansible as a kind of higher level orchestrator for these existing pieces of automation you have. Um, that's one of the really good things about Ansible, actually, because you know you can use it to do something really low level, like um, submit a job. Maybe you have a batch job that you have that uh, runs some automated process for you at the moment. Um, you can wrap that up in Ansible, so you can have that um, and Ansible playbook that runs that job and retrieves the output and you know pushes it to a database somewhere or something like that. Um, you can host that piece of automation in Ansible Tower and then people have a website they can go to and click a button to trigger that piece of automation to run. You can expose that to a lot more people, but you can also look at, um, if you look at uh, system automation, any piece of automation you have in there, you can use that as well. If you have... Um, pieces of automation in ZOSMF, you can use that there and you can have them all exposed in the same interface. So, you you know, regardless of where your automation actually lives in terms of implementation, people who want to run it will be able to go to the same place, click a Mm. button and have that go. So, so, so as we have made some, some people listening that are more into the runtimes and, and not, and that part of the application platform. So we should stress that that uh, term a little more often. As you learned in the last podcast, it's not just runtimes anymore. It is the platform because we also have stuff like Ansible there. Um, and what 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 could be a sample that 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 IBM thinks of when when we do it in Kicks? So so what is the thing that we actually want to automate then maybe in the end? Okay, so um, one of the um, I think like a really good kind of 
conceptual idea about a process you might want to automate. Um, this is going to be like really naive and things will be way more complicated than this for real. But like, say you have a developer who's working on a COBOL application, let's say, and he makes some source code changes and he wants to get that source code compiled uh, and he wants to have it put in a load library um, and he wants to new copy that program in his Kix region so that uh, when the next time he runs his transaction, it's running the newest version of his code. The sorts of nuts and bolts you have in your toolkit with Ansible and with the collections we have for Z allow you to automate all those things. So you can automate submitting a job which might compile the code. You can automate copying the uh, source code compile output into a load library um, that Kix is using. You can use the Kix collection to um, new copy or phase in that new um, load module in Kix so that the next time the developer runs this transaction, it runs the latest version of his code. There's a website which has all of our different samples for all of the Z collections for Ansible. Um, they're all hosted on the same site, so it's really easy to kind of look around and see, oh, I'm interested in that or I'm interested in this. One of the samples we have in the Kix section on there is a uh, sample which does just that. If you're interested in getting started with Ansible um, and looking at, um, you know, where should I start uh, as part of that samples repository, and I'll make sure there's a link to that samples repository on the podcast website. The first sample we have in there is a sample called reporting, and that uh, uses our Kix collection to go and grab some operational data about your Kix regions and write a spreadsheet so that you can kind of compile a report that someone you can send to someone else and they can view offline. And that's a really good place to start. All you need to get started with that is you just need to have installed Ansible locally. You don't need to set up anything specific on Z. Some of the other collections need you to have set up um, Python and um, the ZOS core collection, which is really powerful, relies on some extra utilities there. And there's actually really good guides for getting started with all of this. So don't be intimidated by uh, having to set up any of that stuff on Z. But the reporting stuff is a uh, reporting stuff. We have some really convenient place to start because you don't need to set anything up. It relies on you having our CMCI API running in your Kix region. But uh, assuming you have that, then that's the, you just set it up with the connection details that you'd normally put into something like Kix Explorer, and then you can get going with that sample and get a feel for how everything works. So maybe as, as we already uh, talked a little longer than we expected, well, maybe a short, a short statement on how is it different to other approaches we see. So I, I, a lot of customers already try to have a look into what Zoe does. The USMF you just mentioned is it's kind of an an addition to that. So so how would you how would you see that in comparison to each other? So um there's a good English expression about this which is uh, it's horses for courses. So you pick the you know the most applicable horse for the uh, course conditions that it's going to run on. Um and these Tools all often do similar things and have overlapping responsibility, but there are some things that are more suited to one tool than another. For instance, Ansible is really good if you write an automated kind of process of like multiple steps, uh, being able to have that accessible to you. So you, there's a, like a command line you can run for Ansible. So you can run that auto, whole automated process locally, um, have something triggered and run all of this automation for you. Uh, is really powerful. Um, Zoe definitely... For example, the Zoe CLI lets you be a lot more fine-grained. So say you don't want to run a whole automated process. You want to do one kind of very bespoke thing right now. Like maybe you want a new copy of program. You don't have an automated process set up to do that already. The Zoe CLI lets you just type a command into your CLI to kind of make that happen. So it kind of depends what you're trying to do. Okay, thanks very much, Stu and, and Toby.
Stu, maybe you'd be prepared to come back and visit us again and talk about some other aspects from um, Ansible and perhaps go into the, the whole Zoe story in a little more detail. But thank you for sparing the time today and talking to us. No problem. Thank you very much for having me. As I spoke earlier, the podcast will be made available on ibm.biz forward slash Z podcast. I hope you'll join us again. We've got a talk about Java and Liberty on Kicks coming up very soon. So thank you all for joining and we'll see you next time. Bye.